unlike some of our previous messages, which dealt with some really in-your-face kinds of sins that the world is throwing at the church and at the individual believer, things which many of us would consider very gross sins like pornography and, and our brother David speaking about homosexuality. I mean, a lot of us may not be immediately touched by these things or some of the other subjects that will be spoken about, uh, abortion and transsexualism and transgenderism. Today's message focuses on some things that none of us can escape. Every one of us is faced with these very sins. They're circled in red on this slide. Self-love, which is really selfishness, and materialism. But these are part of worldly influence that bombards the believer in Christ, bombards the church every single day. No matter where you go, whether you're driving on the road, whether you're listening to the radio, whether you're watching television, whether you're surfing the internet, whether you're at work, whether you're talking with a neighbor, whether you're at a family gathering, one or both of these can come out. One or both of these can be impressed upon us. We don't let the world force us into its mold of self-love or into its mold of materialism. We want to think about these things biblically, all of these things, and today we're going to continue with the final part of the world system and its influence upon the believer, particularly in the areas of materialism and self-love or selfishness. Now, we began in the very first message on the world system and its influence in looking at the world system generally. And as our brother Gilson read to us, we found out that the believer's mind should not be influenced by the world. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let this world force you into its mold in any way, in any sense. But be transformed. And how are we to be transformed? By the renewing of our mind. Instead of being inundated with the knowledge of this world, the value system of this world, we need to have our not minds renewed by the mind of God, which is expressed in the word of God. You're not going to hear that on the job. You're not going to see that commuting back and forth. You're not going to hear it from television and radio, even sometimes Christian television and Christian radio have some pretty bizarre things on it. I, I, I hate to say that. God's word and the clear teaching of God's word is how your mind is going to be renewed. And I, I got to tell you, if your mind is only renewed on Sunday mornings or on Sunday mornings at a, in a midweek study, there is five other days in the week that your mind should be renewed by the word of God. Two days a week is not enough. 
there's not very many of us here today who would think, oh, this coming week, I think I'll only eat two days a week, and the other five I'll fast. But that's what we're doing for, to our soul and our spirit. We're making it fast those other days when it's not being renewed through our own personal, disciplined reading and study of God's Word. Whether we do it on our own or from some good, sound Christian books, and again, there's a lot of bad ones out there. If you need recommendations, see me uh, or my wife when, she, when, when she's healed up and back uh, in our meetings. She, she will give you some very, very good books. She's given them out to a number of women in, in this local church, and they've profited from them. But we can direct you to very sound, good, biblical books that you can read. Just let us know what you're interested in. You can get it from good preaching on Christian radio and television. You just have to be very selective. Usually the ones that are, this isn't always true, but the ones that are the most entertaining are not the good teaching. Okay, the good teaching may be harder to listen to, harder to accept, more convicting. Those are some of the signs. I'm not going to say that's 100% of the time, but if you find someone that you're laughing to for most of the time and it's real entertaining and you just can't miss your show, that may not be good biblical teaching. Good biblical teaching is sometimes hard to swallow. It's a, it's a horse choker of a pill. It's tough to get down because it convicts us. It shows us where we fall short. It also encourages us and lets us know how much God loves us but primarily, it's not entertaining. The believer's mind should not be influenced by the world. The believer's heart should not love the world. John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, anyone, no one's exempted from this. Anyone who loves the world, the love for the Father is not in that individual. You simply cannot love the world and love God at the same time. It's impossible. I'm not going to say more about this because we're going to see the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ on this in a little bit. Now, God is not a cosmic killjoy out to ruin all our fun in life. Uh, he's not a celestial scrooge holding back and not allowing us to celebrate in this life. He has his reasons for telling us not to love the world, and his reasons have not only his glory in mind, but our good in mind. It's in our best interests that he instructs us not to love the world. Why? The world is passing away. It's not going to last forever. How much longer, we don't know, but God knows. The world's passing away. Also, it's lusts, what it offers, its desires. But the one who does the will of God doesn't pass away. He lives forever. The evidence of salvation is doing the will of God. That's the evidence. It's not the means. It's not how you get salvation. 
That's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the evidence that you are truly saved is that you do the will of God. The world will pass away, but if you are doing the will of God, beginning with believing in Jesus, you will live forever with Jesus Christ. So it's very easy to say, I don't love the world. But is there any way we can test the truth of that claim? Yes, do we love the things in the world? John writes, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If I'm loving the things in the world, I can't say that I don't love the world. If we love the, what the world has to offer, we love the world. What does the world have to offer? It has to offer only three things. For all, not some, for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. That's all the world can offer. Three broad categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We defined last time in part two, the lust of the flesh was the desire to indulge, the desire to, def to feed one's fleshly appetites. Now, it may involve the eyes because we're very visually oriented as humans, but the primary focus is to satisfy some appetite or extreme desire of our flesh. The lust of the eyes is the desire to possess, and the boastful pride of life we defined as the desire to impress. I like to explain that one this way. It is being more concerned with what others think about me than with what God knows about me. See, I can never fool God. I might fool all of you, but I can never fool God. I might just be out to impress you, but that doesn't impress God at all. He looks upon the heart. He does not look at the outward appearance. He does not judge as a man judge, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart, the Lord told Samuel. The desire to impress is a very, very real sin, the boastful pride of life. There's not one of us in this room, including myself, who is immune from this sin, from this worldly influence. We need to say no to it every time it rears its ugly head. We're going to continue thinking about this world system specifically. In this day and age, in our culture, it's most commonly seen worldly influence in the following three areas. We could add others, but I wanted to pick one for each of the three areas of what the world has to offer. Sensuality. Sensuality. And we covered that last time. We won't say any more about it this time. Materialism and self-love or selfishness is what we're going to look at today. Sensuality equates to the lust of the flesh, materialism to the lust of the eyes, and selfishness or self-love to the boastful pride of life. Materialism, the lust of the eyes, the desire to possess. It's coveting. It's being envious of what another has and coveting what they have. 
We know the Ten Commandments addresses that. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet anything, it says. But materialism is the expression of that in our day and age, in our culture. Almost without saying, the poorest amongst us are wealthy by the standard of living of our Lord's day. Jesus Christ said the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The ancient peoples were paid every single day. Why? So they could buy bread for the evening meal. And for the following day, they could go to the market on the way home. Or a servant, or in some cases, a group of women would go out and buy food for the next day. But they were paid every day because they didn't have a savings account unless they were wealthy. They only had what they needed for each day. And sometimes they were paid for their food for the next day. That's it. So almost all of us, without exception, are wealthy by those standards. All you have to do is walk into your kitchen, in the cabinets, or in the pantry. Are there boxes and cans and bags of food? Open the freezer. Is there chicken or fish or meat or something there? Uh, the fridge. Yeah, we all, I don't know everyone here, so maybe there's one or two of you who I don't know, but I think every single one of us here are wealthy by the standard of our Lord's day. And so materialism is very, very real. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, bumper stickers aren't too, too popular any longer, but back in the, in the 70s and 80s, uh, uh, they, they were real popular. And I remember seeing one uh, on the back of a, on the bumper of a pickup truck. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's materialism. That's materialism. And as we're going to see from a parable the Lord Jesus Christ told, you can't take it with you. So I don't know how you win when you're leaving all your toys behind. But that's what the uh, bumper sticker said. Materialism reveals the heart. Materialism reveals greed. Greed is the opposite of another word that also begins with the letter G. So it's easy to remember. Generosity. Generosity. Oh, if you like giving, giving. Greed is the opposite of that. Materialism reveals one's spiritual state. In the last days, men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, without self-control. The accumulation, either via going out to shop or online shopping, of item after item after item reveals a lack of self-control. Such a person is not controlled or filled by the Holy Spirit. One of the expressions of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is self-control, is it not? So it's very clear that those who love money and without self-control are not controlled by the Spirit of God. In fact, Paul goes on writing, 
holding, and this should be 2 Timothy chapter 3, holding to a false. I added the word false there because that's the idea. It's not there in the original Greek text, but clearly, if you were to read the first seven verses, you would clearly see that there's this false form of godliness, holding to a a false form of godliness. In fact, you can just look at the next word, avoid such men as these. If it was true godliness, Paul would never tell Timothy, don't avoid them. But it's a false form of godliness. When you see here it's specifically Christian leaders in a church or in some type of ministry, that's clearly the focus. But I don't think any believer in Christ is immune from materialism. It's most heinous. It's most terrible when it's seen in religious leaders. Lovers of money. When you see the possessions, and I don't begrudge anyone anything, it's more a matter of focus and priority in their life. But when they preach a gospel of prosperity, that God wants you to be rich. If he wants you to be rich, why did he create so many poor? You know, if the, if the prosperity gospel was the true gospel, you know who the number one failure of that gospel is? It's Jesus Christ. He had no place to lay his head. He was provided for day after day by the women and some of the men who followed him, followed his ministry. He had nothing. When he was crucified, what did he have? The garments that were on him and his sandals. That was it. If the prosperity gospel is the true gospel, let me say it again, Christ is the worst failure of it. Now, obviously, Christ never failed in anything. It's the prosperity gospel that is the false gospel. The prosperity gospel reveals the spiritual state of those who preach it. Lovers of money without self-control holding to a false form of godliness. Brothers and sisters, avoid such Bible teachers, men or women as these. I'm stressing this because over the four and a half years that I've been here, I have had a small number of you come to me to share with me some of what you were learning from Christian radio or Christian television. And you would cite, not everyone here, most of you have far more discernment than this. They would cite some of these Bible teachers who are known throughout this country and around the world as preaching the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be rich. For them, God is nothing but a genie in a bottle. What a terrible picture of our God. We sang about Christ what a beautiful name, what a wonderful name, what a powerful name. He is not associated with that gospel. Avoid such teaching. When you hear it, run. When you hear it, change the channel. When you hear it, turn off the radio or television. Do not listen to it. It, it is lies from the pit of hell. It's right there in black and white on the slide. Avoid. It's a false form of godliness that should be avoided. 
no self-control. Materialism is greed. Our Lord Jesus Christ taught this in, in Luke chapter 12. He said to them, beware, look out, is what he's saying here. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Greed doesn't just come in one form. It's not just the size of my bank account. It can come in many other forms. You know, I, I often thought I, I could really use a six-car garage. What would I do with a six-car garage? You know, uh, again, I'm, I'm just attempting to illustrate. Uh, some people are collectors, and maybe the Lord has blessed them, and they've collected six or more automobiles. I don't see enough. I'm not their judge. I don't see enough to know. Maybe they give 90% of their income away to help others. How can I pass judgment on that? I don't know the full picture. But he says there are more than one form of greed. Okay? And if you're a Christian with a heart, with a heart for the Lord, and this includes me, I may not notice the materialism in my life. Okay. Oh, I have to have this many of this or that many of that. Or I have to have all these. That's what I think. Oh, I, I, I don't bother with all these things over here or all this over here. And I don't want to mention anything concrete because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm pointing the finger at them when I don't know their whole life story, nor do I want to leave anybody out. Oh, wow, he left me out. Wow, good thing he didn't mention three sets of golf clubs. Okay, there I met. I, that, golf always gets a joke. And I don't know that anyone has three sets. You might have two, and there could be a good reason for it. You haven't found someone to give the, uh, your older set to. I don't know. I don't know. So I'm getting on thin ice here. And so I apologize to all the golfers here, which are a lot of them are in my, my, my wife's family. So, Boy, the next uh, family dinner, I'm in trouble. Okay. <laughs> Greed comes in different forms. Materialism comes in different forms. Look what Jesus Christ said. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Someone here might be thinking, I don't have much in the way of possessions at all. Uh, wow, yeah, sure. My life doesn't consist of possessions. What do I have? I remember the time I had a small trunk, okay, uh, when I was in the military, I, I, I had, a, I had a, a, a Dodge Challenger, and it had a small trunk. It only slept two Johnsons, okay? It, only two of me could fit in there. It wasn't very big at all. But all my worldly possessions, my sea bag and some boxes of books, fit in that trunk. That was it. That's all I had. And now, boy, our house is filled. What's, ha what's happened? It, 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 surely our life does not consist of possessions when it only fits in a trunk about this wide and this deep. That's, that's about the size of the trunk in the, ch in the old Challenger. It wasn't very big at all. But how about when we have a lot of possessions? How about now? with the house that I have, and each room has its furniture. And uh, 
more, more books than I could ever fit anywhere in that car. Even if I pulled the engine out and used that for a trunk, I can't fit all the books in. Does my life consist of possessions now? No, not at all. Not at all. Take them all. I, I, there's a couple of Bibles I really want because I've written a lot of notes in the margins. But if you want to take them all, take them all. I'm not going to cry a drop, a tear over them. Life does not consist of possessions. Materialism is greed, as our Lord makes clear here. Beware of and guard against every form of greed. Life does not consist of possessions. Let's move on. Jesus is going to illustrate materialism and greed with a parable. He says, guard against greed. And he told a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. God blessed this rich man, and his land was productive. Not only had it been productive, which is how he became rich, but it was still productive, so productive, the Lord was blessing him so much that you're going to see what he's about to do. Notice one thing as we see what he's about to do. Notice what he doesn't do. Does he ever give thanks to God? The land of a rich man was very productive. And this rich man began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, Ah, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, gotta, I, have, I can't fit everything uh, that, that I need to store. I can't fit all my grain. There's so much of it. I can't fit it. I need to build bigger barns. Oh, I need to build an addition on my house to store more books. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. You see how materialism begins to take control. His focus is not on God, the blessing of God. He doesn't give thanks. His focus is on more. Where do I put it? Where do I store it? Where do I keep it? Notice he never said, wow, I don't have room for it. Let me give it away to those who are in need. I already have barns full. I'm already rich. My, my land is producing more than I can handle. Instead of giving it away, he wants to build larger barns. The one who dies with the most toys wins. Materialism misleads because of this focus on the material things, he says to his soul, I, say, I will say to my soul, soul? Now, this, this gets me. Soul, you see, our souls are eternal. He's talking to himself, not realizing that this is not all that there is. There is an eternal spiritual realm and world, a future that this body, this fallen sinful body is not going to enter into. The body of the believer will be transformed and made like Christ, a spiritual body. Exactly what that is, I don't know. We've never seen it. Scripture doesn't describe it in detail. It calls it a spiritual body. It's not merely a physical body. A body just localizes us in space and time. The body really isn't me. 
You know, if I'm laying dead in a coffin, that's not really me. That's a shell. That's something that localized the real me in space and time. Uh, how does a spiritual body relate to that? It provides identity. It's for it's, we can recognize. It localizes us as a distinct entity from others. But he says to his soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. And yet he still wants to have more. For many years to come, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know, that's part of the goal of so many people. I got to tell you, when, before I retired, every morning when I got to work, I'd boot up the computer, I, I'd open Microsoft Excel, a particular workbook that I had to keep track of all the hours that I charged to government contracts. The first thing it did when it started up, I wrote a little auto open macro. It inserted my time. And it also showed me how many working days left till retirement. This was a tough message to prepare, let me tell you. Eat, drink, and be merry. I was never going to retire from serving the Lord, but I was sure going to retire from being an engineer. As much as I liked it, it's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, this version of eat, drink, and be merry, serve the Lord with undivided attention. But you know what God said about this man? He had goods laid up for years to come, and he was not talking about serving any man or serving God. He was talking about just taking it easy, catching some rays, you know, drinking a nice iced tea or something with an umbrella sticking out of it, and be merry. No labor, no love for others, just for himself. What did God say? But God said, you fool, you fool. That's what God calls this man. His only retirement plans revolved around himself. Even in retirement, he would not recognize what God had given to him, and God calls him a fool. Materialism misleads because it causes us to focus only on this life. It doesn't direct us to the things above. It doesn't direct us to eternal matters. Materialism will one day give an account. God said to him, you fool, this very hour. He doesn't know whether he's even going to make it to retirement. When I saw the number of days on my Excel spreadsheet, I had no clue whether I'd ever see those days reach zero. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Nobody. He who dies with the most toys leaves the most toys behind. You know, there's that story. You've heard it before from me. You've heard it from others before me. The richest man in the world at one time was John D. Rockefeller. And when he died, a New York reporter approached the lawyer who was the executor of his estate. He wanted a real story. Nobody knew how much John D. Rockefeller was worth. And so the reporter tries to get the lawyer to answer, and 
he finally asks him, uh, you know, would you, could you tell me how much Mr. Rockefeller left behind when he died? And he said, sure. And the reporter's beside himself. All right, what a story this is going to be. Sure, I'll tell you. He left it all. He left it all. Who will own what you have prepared? And then verse 21, so is. I put it in red along with the word fool. This is what it's referring to. So is the man. The man is a fool who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's all that man did. In the verses we read, he never gave thanks to God. You know, you've probably heard before a quote from Jim Elliott, a man who gave up his life with four of his fellow missionaries in 1956. I think it was January 8th, 1956. They were martyred bringing the gospel to an unreached people group, uh, the Waharani, sometimes called the Auka uh, Indians in Ecuador. And in fact, uh, when Grace Gospel Church was over on Swansea, I believe uh, his wife, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, came and spoke to the ladies. She's spoken at my little church in, in Connecticut. Um, you know, my wife sat under her ministry a number of times. Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot, what he cannot earn. You know, you're not foolish to give up what you cannot keep to gain what God has in store for you. The one who stores up treasure for himself on this earth and is not rich towards God, is impoverished towards God, is the fool. Jesus commands against materialism in the greatest sermon ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he gives a command. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure upon earth. It's a command. There's no way around it. it. It's incumbent on all of us. It's an obligation for all of us. None of us should store up for ourselves treasures on earth and neglect eternity. He's going to give his reason for his command against materialism. He says, because you can't count on it. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Moth and rust destroy, it won't last. It won't last. Furthermore, you can't even count on it in the short run because thieves may break in and steal. Again, when he gives his command, do not store up treasure on earth, he has our best interests in mind. He has our best interests in heart. Because moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He's illustrating here that it's not permanent. Your soul is permanent, but earthly treasure is not permanent. Jesus commands instead that spiritual treasure be stored up, but store up, that's a command, for yourselves treasures in heaven. So that's the command. He wants us to be heavenly-minded. He wants us to store up treasure in heaven. He wants us to labor for that which will never perish. 
That's his command. Store up spiritual treasure, eternal treasure in heaven. And he's going to give the reason why that we should store up. Because moth and rust cannot destroy it. It's never going to become corrupted. It's never going to rust. It's, it's, it's never going to dissolve treasure in heaven. It is always there. And it can never be stolen. It's guarded by the promises of God. Again, our best interests. God always has our best interests in mind when he gives us a command. As our brother Mike Browner is often heard to say and to pray in prayer, you are better to us than we are to ourselves. We may want the earthly treasure, but his command to lay up tre heavenly treasure is being better to us than we are to ourselves. We would just focus on time instead of eternity. Jesus gives the reason for his command against materialism. Materialism controls the heart. It's going to gain control of our heart. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Wherever your treasure is. I call this the treasure principle. Okay? I understand the context that the Lord is talking about here, but this treasure principle applies much, much broader as well. Wherever your treasure is, whatever you treasure, that's where your heart is. That's what you're truly in love with. That's what you'll truly sacrifice for in order to keep that treasure. You know, years ago, I mean, I loved my wife deeply. I loved my wife dearly, but I felt I should love her more. And, and uh, so even though I was working long days, uh, about 60 hours a week, when I would come home, I would look for things that I could do for her. Sometimes I'd tell her before I'd leave, don't do the laundry. I'll do it when I come home. I would do the dishes. I was her dishwasher. For 38 years, I never broke down. And then uh, when we were out in California, there was one in the apartment, so I had to use that. Uh, we were told to use it. Otherwise, they get clogged up or rusted up or whatever. But I, I would do the dishes every night for her. I would do whatever I could for her. And my love for her blossomed and deepened even more. It was almost like God was preparing me for the way I would need to love her over this last year and serve her with her being so sick. But wherever your treasure is, that's what you're going to love. If you, if you don't love this church enough, if you realize the depths of your devotion and commitment to your church family is not deep enough, how do you, how do you deal with that? You lay up treasure in it. We value our time. We value our means. Lay up more treasure in it. Volunteer to serve. Get involved more. If you can't be here on a Sunday, watch the, uh, the, the, the services on YouTube. 
Instead of saying, oh, well, you know, I guess there'll be no church input today. Find some way to invest yourself more because when you're invested in something, that's where your treasure is and, and your devotion and commitment will grow. If it's to a member of your family, a parent, a spouse, a child, a, a, a cousin, whatever, whatever you think you should have more love for, you should treasure more, invest in that. And it will grow. Your, your devotion will deepen. Your commitment will be more consistent. Your love will grow. That's the treasure principle. Here it's primarily focused on spiritual things. That's what our Lord is talking about. But there's application in all areas of our life. Materialism will master our love and service. Jesus Christ says no one No one can serve two masters. Not me, not you. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and anything else. Put any other word there in place of wealth. You must serve God first and foremost. This is why John said, If anyone loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him because no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. He's going to go on in the intervening verses between the last one, verse 24 and verse 31. He's going to to tell the people listening to him, you know, therefore, you know, don't be, therefore, why are you worried about food? And clothing is not life, is not the body and life more than food and then clothing? And he illustrates, just observe the birds of the air. They do not toil, nor do they reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more worthy than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single day to the length of your life? No, anxiety can shorten it. It's not going to lengthen it. He said, observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. If God would do this for birds and for flowers, our Lord would go on to say, will he not much more do so for you. So do not worry then. Materialism should not be a concern. Having a lot of something should not be concern. With food and clothing, therewith be content. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, the unsaved, the child of this world, not the child of God, the child of heaven, the child of this world eagerly seeks all these things. This is all they have in life of brothers and sisters. You have Jesus, and that is more than food, more than clothing. He's the source of all these things. He is lasting treasure. The Gentiles eagerly seek these. However, Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. What is your picture of God? Is he a cosmic killjoy, a celestial scrooge, 
Or is he your loving heavenly father who sent his one and only son to bear your sins in his body on the cross and provide you salvation? Your heavenly father knows. If you then being evil, Christ would say, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? This is our Heavenly Father. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from Him. And He doesn't change. That's the way He is. That's the way He'll always be, providing for all that we need. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. You know, sometimes people will ask me, uh, you know, uh, if something happens, Paul, are are you worried? You know, at work, you know, they'd announce layoffs, you know. And uh, people might say, are, are you worried about the layoff? And I would tell them, even if they weren't Christians, I'd say, I'll start worrying when the Lord starts worrying, okay? That's a good time to start worrying when the Lord starts worrying. But he's never going to worry. He's in control of everything. Your heavenly Father knows. He will care for you. Materialism should not be sought, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek his kingdom first, and God will add what you need. Maybe not always what we want, but what we need. Materialism shouldn't be worried about. Christ says, do not worry about tomorrow, the material things for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he knows today what we need, he knows tomorrow what we need. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Quickly, let's go through selfishness. There's only a few slides. This is self-love or the boastful pride of life. Now, a lot of people think, oh, uh, aren't I told in Scripture to love myself? No, Christ said, love your neighbor. There's the command, love your neighbor. That's the command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or to expand it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's not a command, as you love yourself. The only command is to love your neighbor. Christ is already assuming you do love yourself. Some of us love ourselves too much. We love ourselves at the expense of our neighbor, at the expense of our brother and sister in Christ. We said that this one corresponds to Self-love corresponds to the boastful pride of life. Uh, A believer in the Lord from Wisconsin gave me this little acronym for pride. You know, we think pride is important. And there is a proper amount of pride doing a good job that we can put our name on because we represent Christ. But most of the time when we talk about pride, we're talking about the sin of pride. And so we are here, the boastful pride of life. Pride, personal rebellion is destructive expression. This is exactly what Satan tried to do. I will be like the Most High. And he fell. This is exactly what he told Eve in the garden. You will be like God. Personal rebellion is destructive expression. And sadly, not often does our sinful pride, not not only does it sometimes destroy others, but it destroys us as well just like with Satan, just like with Adam and Eve. Here, I don't expect you to 
read all these words. These are sins of self. Did you ever think there were this many sins of self? Okay, the, these slides will be online if you want to uh, look at it a little more closely, but we're not going to spend any time on this, not just because we're running late. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul reveals that selfishness or self-love reveals one's spiritual state, just like materialism did, just like being a lover of pleasure in the last part. In the last days, men will be lovers of self, boastful, conceited, holding to a false form of godliness, avoid such men as these. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, gives commands against self-love. He does this by not commanding against the negative self-love, but commanding the positive, expressing love for others in certain ways. The commands here are be, maintain, be, be intent, be of the same mind, Maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You notice the idea of unity here, of coming together. It's not simply loving, so loving someone else at your expense, though sometimes we may need to do that. And we have the perfect example of that, don't we, in Jesus Christ on the cross. But the... Paul commands against exclusively loving ourselves. The word same involves others. I want to reach the same mindset with others. I want to have the same love for others as I have for myself. I want to be united with them. And I want to have one goal, one purpose in life to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to have that with others. These are the commands against self-love. He does this by commanding what we should do instead of what we shouldn't do. The commands of self-love are first manifested in attitude. In the very next verse, he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Conceit and pride are, are somewhat synonymous. So we see selfishness being associated with pride and the boastful pride of life. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Wow, think about that. Not just regarding them equally, but if necessary, whenever necessary, regard them as more important than yourself. The commands against self-love are not just manifested in attitude, they're manifested in action. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Instead of, you see how this would even go against materialism? We look out for the interests of others. That's part of being a family. You do that within your human family. We want to do that within a church family. We're a community of believers, but we're more than even a community. We want to be a family. The larger we get, the more difficult it is, but we still want to love one another and regard one another as more important than ourselves. The commands against self-love are manifested in a single supreme example that nothing else can ever compare to. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, 
in the next verse, who existed in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be tenaciously retained in his grasp, but he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a bondservant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is the supreme example that manifested love for others above oneself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. If you're here this morning and those words sound foreign or strange to you, please speak to someone else here, speak to me. We would love to share the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. This supreme example of laying down one's life, this supreme example of love for another, we'd love to explain to you exactly what that is, how it was done, and what it can result in, and how you can be part of that. So thinking biblically about this world system, what are you thinking this morning? Are you thinking biblically about materialism and self-love? Let me challenge you. Today, will you begin to pray about worldly influences in your life? Particularly, will you begin to pray daily about materialism and selfishness in your life? Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we know that we can't serve you and wealth at the same time. We can't serve you and anyone else. Would you be pleased, dear God, to show yourself to be the divine idol smasher? Smash all the idols of our heart that there be nothing left but a pure love and devotion for you. And Lord, would you be pleased to bring yourself glory by producing in us an attitude similar to yours that we would merely, not merely look out for our own personal interests, but that we would look out for other interests as well. That we would regard our brothers and sisters in Christ as more important than ourselves. Be pleased to do this, and we will give you all the praise and glory both now and throughout eternity. Amen.